Welcome to Inaudible. My name is Jeremy Weiland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Masterson. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the archives of organizations like LL Research, Circle R, and others. The archives contain transcripts of messages from allegedly discarnate sources who articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution. If you would like an audio version of the transcripts, please subscribe to Ryan's other podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. Ryan and I will try to provide analysis and commentary on the philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes, and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Ryan, how's it going? It's going. It's going. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty, pretty well. Uh, just looking forward to the Thanksgiving holiday when I'll get to hang out with friends and family. Um, yeah, just uh, keeping up with everything else, too. As am I. I've already, we've had a ham sitting in our fridge for maybe a week and a half, two weeks now. Um we did our shopping a bit early, <laughs> wondering if, uh, you know, there were going to be turkeys or hams in the, uh, in the grocery store. So we're, we're all set and ready to go. That's cool. Uh, I have the honor of not doing Thanksgiving this year. So, uh, <laughs> I just got to make some Brussels sprouts and I can, I can pull that off. Pretty Classic. Easily. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Uh, normally I will, uh, smoke a brisket and bring it to whoever's house, but, uh, I'm just not going to mess with that this year. <laughs> that sounds good. That reminds yeah. me, I need to put a Traeger on my, uh, on my Christmas list or something, oh, yeah. <laughs> or maybe put it on next year's Christmas list so we can save up for it. <laughs> oh, that would be a very good Christmas. <laughs> yes. I'll have to be a really good boy in, <laughs> in order for Santa to bring that. So yeah. 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 So I think today we have a, a kind of a continuation from what we covered last week, at least in regards to the, the conscious channeling session that you referenced, that you had brought up. Um, I read through more of this and really like it. And I certainly think it's, it's worth going into. Yeah, it's got some practical ideas that I thought were, would be useful to highlight to the listener. They were they certainly struck me as useful. Mm. Um, they not only did we talk about um, this uh, transcript uh, on our last episode, but the other selves working group had their open house for the month, and we were uh, this came up in the context of uh, uh, a discussion around the mechanics of desire. And, uh, so this idea of positive and negative projection into the future that the transcript discusses really, really played into that. So it's something I've been thinking about a lot and I think we can knock out a really useful episode yeah. uh, if we dig into it. I want to throw out one, uh, errors and omissions correction from last, from last week. Who boy listening. Well, listening, I was trying to, uh, um, off the cuff, explain this raising the consciousness visualization that I had in my head and listening back, what came out of my mouth was very different than what I had in my head. <laughs> so I was talking about a uh, one dimensional, one dimensional visualization of raising consciousness and then tra translating that to a two dimensional uh a visualization of raising one's consciousness. And I'm talking about circumference in relation to expanding diameter and 
I'm well aware the math is completely wrong on that because I was thinking of, uh, I was just thinking something completely different in my head. So uh, <laughs> it just bothers me listening to that. I'm like, holy cow, this is way different than what I <laughs> than what I thought it was. Um, yeah, but at least you can be pretty uh, certain that everybody's gone through some basic like trigonometry and knows what you're talking about. I was using the audio compressor metaphor, which is completely, <laughs> completely but, not approachable by anybody. So in my book, you, you did the better. Oh, job. well, thanks. I guess, um, mine is more easy to spot when you're wrong. <laughs> if everyone has <laughs> yeah. that training, then they definitely know that I was I, off the rails. <laughs> I, 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 I do like working in, uh, uh, areas where people can't check my work. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they just got to trust. They got to have faith in what trust. Jeremy is saying. You know what? Check your own resonance. See if you agree <laughs> that the circumference and the diameter are related in the way that Ryan says. <laughs> oh my gosh. I listened to that and I'm like, the, <laughs> the equation for circumference is literally, you know, it's literally a linear relationship. And, I'm, you know, anyway, I just laughed at myself. I'm like, holy cow. Anyway, so... If you go back this, and listen to it, I, I recognize I was completely wrong and I had something different going on in my head. <laughs> it's kind of cool because like, uh, you know, we're back in the saddle. We're back doing this thing. And like, just like when we first got started on the tra- on the on the podcast, we have corrections, right? We had yeah. that second or third episode where we had to like mea culpa. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. It's, it's so hard when you're. It's so hard not being right all the time, <laughs> I know. or at least admitting that you're not right all the time. But, uh, you know, that's, that's some humility. The world could certainly, you know, we could use more of. So, and that's, that's a great, that's going to be a great topic for us to explore because I've actually stumbled on some pretty good information around the spiritual concept of humility. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's something that the, uh, the channeling circle that I'm involved with. We also did a session on humility that I thought I just reviewed today, actually. And I thought it was pretty good. In nice. fact, I'm thinking maybe it might be a good idea uh, for us to just do a survey of all the stuff that we did um, in the channeling intensive this summer and just do it like, you know, here's the takeaways for all this stuff. If nothing else, it will help me harvest <laughs> sure. um, some, some value out of, out of this material. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, why not? Well, this, uh, the king of digressions here, that's okay. There so many fun things can come out of those, but the session in question that again was brought up last week that we are going to peruse today is from November 28th, 2004. And this is a Kuo session. And this session leads, of course, like with many of the Kuo sessions with the question itself. And the question reads, the question today has to do with the relationship between love and fear. We are told that there is a relationship and that if we can learn how to find the balance in this relationship, that we can help love to overcome fear. Could Kuo tell us the relationship between love and fear? And right off the bat, this is a great question because I think it's, um, what is the, what is the word? Again, my English today is lacking, but there's this common thing that will pop up when, uh, maybe motivational speakers are talking about human emotion and they say, oh, there, there is only, there are only two emotions. There is only love 
and there is only fear. Those are the only two that you truly experience. And every other thing that you feel is some kind of derivation of those two or outgrowths of those two emotions. So I think this is a fantastic question. And I'm, and I'm interested to read what, what uh, Carla has to say via Quo. What Quo has yeah. to say via Carla. Um, I, I agree. I was really, from the very get-go when I read this uh, last week, I was really intrigued uh, because it gets into this area that's always really confusing about Confederation philosophy. Um, other spiritual disciplines aren't like this. For example, A Course in Miracles pretty much talks about fear as the opposite of love. Hmm. Right. That fears the absence of love. Right. Um, but in a lot of ways, I have come around to the Confederation perspective. And, you know, these perspectives are just tools that you use to make sense of your life, sense of your life in, a, in some sort of like spiritually useful way. So if it's not spiritually useful, then chuck it. But I have found it useful to instead of thinking of love and fear as these two opposed independent concepts to think of it as a continuum. And it seems like the, the, the confederation talks about this too, with fear being a kind of distortion of love, right? Mm. In the same way that, uh, black is kind of a distortion of white. Mm. Now, of course that doesn't really make sense unless you get into like the physics of what light is. And, but the idea being that we see these things as, concrete independent opposites and yet even thinking of them as opposites requires the other to define it right yes from a philosophical point of view it seems really really useful to look at love and fear as what quo describes as two sides of the same coin in exactly the same way um that we look at uh any opposites any uh uh, uh principles that have kind of like a polarity to them as kind of being connected in some way as being um, part of a spectrum or, of a, or a continuum. And in this way, we can continue to look for unity in all things and do that crucial mission that the Confederation asks us to at least attempt, which is to find the love in all things. How can you find the love in something that's fearful? Well, this would be the consequence of that philosophy, right? You can only find love in something that's fearful if the if the fearful thing is made of the same thing as the loving stuff that you already yes. have, right? Yes. So just from a philosophical perspective, it's good to get a baseline of like, okay, this is the rubric we're going to apply to our spiritual uh, issues in life uh, as we go through this this transcript. Yes. I know it's easy for humans to put things in binary categories, either or, black or white, yes or no, right and wrong. But I think to your point, placing everything on a spectrum and understanding that there are gradations in between those binary options, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's tough, but that's, I think, I think that's, that's truth. There's truth in there. You know, there's truth and, in there. and there's a there, there there's a bigger issue at work too, because there's something right up front at the beginning of the reading that really caught my attention. Uh, maybe it's time to just go ahead and let Quo do the talking. Let's do it. Um, okay. The query you sorry the query that you ask this day is at the heart of the movement 
from your present third density world and experience to the fourth density world of love. You dwell at this time in a density that is attempting to learn what it is to love unconditionally. In the next density, the density of love and understanding, the atmosphere is one of unconditional love. It may seem to be a paradise, standing in third density and thinking about living in unconditional love. And certainly, relatively speaking, it is a paradise to dwell consciously in the atmosphere of total acceptance. However, the interplay betwixt love and fear continues in fourth density as the shadows, those shadows that you now experience in third density, are penetrated. That dynamic continues because as light is brought into the darkness, it reveals more subtle patterns of shadow and light, so that the dynamic continues and deepens. As you move forward in the process of spiritual evolution, you will find yourself continuing to uncover areas that were previously unknown to you within the very complex pattern of your total personality. So this is not a question that will go away as you learn more. It is a question that will deepen and intensify, for there is no end to the mystery of this dynamic between love and fear. And that's where I want to start because it might seem, it certainly seems to me that the reward in a sense of getting the fourth density is I don't have to deal with all this BS anymore, all this fear, this worry, this scarcity, right? It's all going to be gone. And yet, you know, Ra and others in the Confederation have been leaving hints all along in other uh, sessions that the material with which we're working in third density is going to provide (laughs) uh, uh, learning opportunities going far into our spiritual evolution. What we do right now sets the basis, it seems like, for a lot of what we're going to be uh, uh, getting really, really, really uh, minutely correct in, in, in later densities where we have more resources to, to, to put into it, right? We have more light to shed upon that darkness and really understand the nuances of that darkness with that darkness in this, uh, in this telling seeming like they're referring to fear. So it's like, it's as if there's something about fear that isn't just negative. It's not just something that we back away from and we, uh, avoid, but there's something really deep there that we have to understand about ourselves. And I wanted to start out first and foremost, kind of trying to appreciate uh, that fear is not simply this, uh, this, this bad thing that happens to us. Of course, in third density, it is. It's a bad thing that occurs, either that we make happen or that others trigger in us. And they talk about triggers later on. And that's also something I want to get into, but just taking fear on its face value, it seems like because fear is this kind of distorted or shaded love that there's a lot, there's, there's some rich learning opportunities. And the more that we can face our fears in a straightforward manner, I think I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm kind of like, uh, speculating here, but Mm -hmm. I get the sense that in, in, in facing these fears and facing this this, this deeper kind of love that isn't as easy for us to ingest and, and use, but is a little bit harsher, a little bit, uh, a little more fiber in there. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we set ourselves up for future work and future progress in densities beyond ours. And it just, 
what I really wonder about is what is fear really, what is the experience of fear really like feel like in a density where you have concrete knowledge that you are one with everything? That's that to me is uh, a, a great example of the kind of mystery that continues to unravel as we go down this path. Right. What do you think mm-hmm. of that? What comes to mind is feels like it's out of left field and I'm going to go there for a minute and then I'll bring it back. I'll bring it back home. But have you ever heard or did you ever hear John McCain discuss his time in captivity in Vietnam? I think it was Vietnam. Uh, A little bit. He, He described why he was able to survive, not just survive, but mentally keep his mental health, mentally survive, not just physically survive. Because when he was in there and his fellow captives were saying, uh, we'll be out by Christmas or we'll be out by Easter of next year, McCain took the long-term view and he's like, I'm in here until I'm out or, you know, I'm in here for a long time. And the guys that had that short-term view didn't make it. He took the long view. And I bring that up because in this, in this new age, I'm going to call it new age community, So often we are looking forward to the new age, the new earth, the golden age, the golden era, whatever it is where there's unconditional love. And what hammers me right here in the very paragraph that you read is when Quo states, it may seem to be paradise standing in third density and thinking about living in unconditional love. And certainly, relatively speaking, it is paradise to dwell consciously in the atmosphere of total acceptance. However, the interplay betwixt love and fear continues into fourth density as the shadows. Those shadows that you now experience in third density are penetrated. The dynamic continues, and and this is key, the dynamic continues. As light is brought into the darkness, it reveals more subtle patterns of shadow and light so that the dynamic continues and deepens. And to me, this reads that that fear that we feel, the stress that we might feel, the whatever it is that the opposite of love, or, you know, the, the, the interplay between love and whatever, that whatever, we're going to continue feeling that. Isn't, and isn't that where the lessons are learned in feeling that other side of love and trying to bring it back into love, but it sounds like, and I just love this visualization as light is brought into the darkness, it reveals more subtle patterns of shadow and light so that the dynamic continues and deepens. And so that to to me, this is, this is the John McCain analogy. As spirits, you have to take the long view and understand that, yes, we might be moving into this new consciousness of love and understanding, but as we move our sensitivity to darkness only heightens and we become we become more aware of the interplay so we're still going to feel all the stuff that we you know we're going to there's going to be a corollary you know we're going to feel more of uh, um, well maybe not more but there are still going to be challenges as you move and evolve because the more maybe the more love you feel the the more those small things that are not love maybe those hit harder you know that's what comes to mind in in this first paragraph here. Yeah, and it's it's worth pointing out that you know we're not just here to suffer that that this pain 
has a utility to it, right? It grabs our attention, if nothing else. We've we've talked about this this quality of of, of pain and suffering to grab the attention and mm-hmm. the focus one. And um, yeah, I just wonder if in later so there's there's a part in the raw contact where Ra says in third density, you know, in in, in later densities, you are working. Uh, you're going to refine the statue. But in third density, statue is forged in fire. Hmm. In other words, there's something about third density that lends itself to extremes that then get balanced later on. Hmm. We don't have to get to 100% service to others. Uh, I think in later in later densities, perhaps we do, but we just don't have the material to to reasonably do that in this density. Instead, we just need to get over the hump, mm-hmm. and then th- and then we'll, we'll we'll work the rest out with with greater tools and greater awareness and you know it it i continue to think about okay if we do reside in an environment of unconditional love then we might have the ability to really peer more deeply into these shadows we might have the ability to do something that strikes us as more useful than our <laughs> just being afraid now Seems useful, right? What it does is captures our attention and mm. focuses on it. And then maybe later on, we start to balance that. And, mm. you know, we do some balancing in this in this uh, life, too. And, of course, that's what this whole uh, transcript is about. But uh, it's interesting to think of fear as a long-term partner of ours. Partner. We're not going to escape it. Yeah. I, that's a good word for it. A partner. Well, just like as they explain or as they... they go into in the next paragraph about yin and yang you know with the yin and yang visual you know one side one side is light the other side is dark but within each side is that small circle that is the other side you know so within that light spot there's that dark circle and within the dark circle within the dark spot there's that light circle so yes there's fear is a partner even in even in one who loves unconditionally you know i'm sure fear is there and vice versa those who live in fear, yeah. there's, there's some love in there. There is, there is. And like, that's why I think we can always find that if we, if we are skilled enough to, to, to bother to look, mm-hmm. we can tap into that thread of love and we can make interactions with even the most fearful people. There's the potential there mm-hmm. um, to serve, to serve in some real useful, creative, expansive way. And that's a lot of what this uh, transcript is about. It's about this choice that we have when we are presented with catalysts, when we're presented with situations that would cause us concern or worry. Um, they make a quo makes a, a, a big point of saying, you know, right off the bat, um, your culture is oriented more towards fear. It's oriented towards. Oh, what do they say? Um, there is little or no precedent within your leaders or within your role models for gazing at a situation in terms of trust, faith, or love, but rather an almost inevitable bias towards gazing at a situation from the standpoint of concern, worry, projection into the future and contraction around these concerns and worries and projection projections. Um, and they, Quo labels that as that that fearful contractive energy as male, um, although they they don't they're not wedded to that. I think it's just something that they adopt for the purposes. It's funny because 
Carla's female and she sees fear as male. Whereas like for me, I see it the exact opposite, yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. Right. Sure. Cause she, cause, cause Quo says, you know, it's plenty of females that, that have masculine, uh, that have this, the, you know, fear and control impulse. Yes. And there's plenty of men who well, can love. For, con- for ta- context listeners in the next paragraph, and I, I don't think we have to hammer actually through the next paragraph, but Quo no. likens love and fear or this dichotomy into masculine and feminine. Um, in that you could, if you imagine, if you imagine love, you might, you might imagine a maternal figure that, you know, a mother. And if you, if you imagine fear, you might, you might imagine, you know, a domineering, I can't remember what, what is written right in here. I could find it if I take a few seconds, but essentially they're describing, he's trying to, or Quo is trying to just split and dichotomize, um, love and fear into two, well, what's, what's the word? Boy, I need to work on my vocabulary. Um, I shouldn't say archetypes, right? That's not the right, that's not the right word. Um, let me read, let me just read it. Ideal? Ideal, could be an ideal. To Look, let's, I'll just read the, the couple sentences. To put a face right. and a body to love is perhaps to imagine a feminine figure, loving and maternal with open arms and an open heart and a willingness to embrace. To put a face and a body to fear is perhaps to imagine a male figure clad in an enveloping cloak in which are gathered all of the treasures that this figure is attempting to hold tightly to himself. So, yes, I don't think they're they're not... uh, Quo isn't explaining any truths per se, but just here, visualize this, you know, visualize a maternal person and visualize this masculine energy that's holding on tightly to everything, basically the love and fear. And quote goes into yin and yang, which, you know, I, I, I enjoy, I would encourage you to read this. Um, and Quo finishes, essentially finishes this, this paragraph stating the, the surface of our culture is caught in that contracted state where there is a constant concern for safety and security and a constant quest for having sufficient resources to meet the future. In other words, our culture is exemplifying that, that imaginary masculine figure in that enveloping cloak in which is gathered all of the treasures that we're attempting to uh, hold tightly to ourselves. Yeah, the the point is that that's the sea in which we swim right now. When we're not paying attention, when we're not doing our own creative thinking, that's the background noise. That's the mm-hmm. radiation. That's 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 what's going on when we're not even putting energy into it. And it's important to understand that so that we can judge ourselves correctly because we we there's a bias against this radiative, loving service to others concept. And they said this many times, regardless of the male or female thing, uh, our society is a fear-based one. It's based on, um, you know, trying to predict the future and be certain of the future. I mean, every corporation does planning along Mm -hmm. these lines. Families do planning along these lines. It, uh, it's, it's part of, and, and they talk, uh, later on about how it's almost, uh, seen as, uh, a dereliction of duty to not worry a dereliction of duty to not plan in the future and make, you know, 
your arrangements so that you can make sure that you <laughs> uh, retain as much as you can and mm-hmm. lose as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so what, what, it, what, what's interesting about this, it, from my point of view is this concept of projection into the future because it's where the transcript goes. And I think it's where the most useful stuff is. And we talked about it on the last episode, but I want to put a really fine point on it. Um, there, there is, I, I mean, I, should I just read the stuff that I read last time? <laughs> Let's, is this the, uh, is this the next paragraph where Carla gets done answering the phone and then she gets back into that, to the next yeah. paragraph? Yeah. Yes, I was just is. reading through that. Yeah, please. Let's, let's continue. Okay. When you think about how it feels to be fearful, perhaps you may see that involved in most experiences of fear-based thought, there is the habit of projection into the future. The one known as T2 and the one known as Jim were both speaking earlier of thinking ahead to jobs that needed to be done or conversations that need to be held or situations that may arise. And the one known as Jim was speaking of the difference between positive projecting and negative projecting. In the sense of positive projection into the future, there is no projecting beyond what could be called architectural or structural projection. And we would offer the example that the one known as Jim has often given of how this entity would prepare for a pole vault during the field games of his school days by imagining and visualizing with great integrity of detail every step of running with the pole to the point where the pole was planted and the body weight was levered and lifted and the pole was allowed to lift the body up over the bar. And then the rotation would be imagined in the successful dismount. I just want to remark that isn't this very similar to what John McCain did when he was in the cage visualizing, visualizing, uh, maybe it wasn't him, but there was some other, uh, Vietnam POW who talked about visualizing. I read, I heard the story. I think my dad told me it like 20, 30 years ago, every day he just spent all his time visualizing that perfect putt. Yes. That is a famous story. And then he got out there and. Played he was awesome a good games golfer. of golf, even though he had no practice. <laughs> he was a right? good golfer. Yeah. I've heard that story. Yeah. Positive projection. Um, yeah. So I think everybody gets the point about the example of Jim. I'll move on to the next paragraph. Mm-hmm. Negative projection, on the other hand, is far easier to describe because each of those in this circle of seeking has had the, the conversations in the mind that will be difficult or are expected to be difficult and has experienced that repetition of thought where one begins to think, well, what if something happens? Then what shall I say? And then one continues thinking in a circular way again, well, what if this happens? Then what shall I do? Simply riding that cycle around a circular course again and again. In truth, such imaginings do not improve the way that such a conversation will actually go. Because there is not simply the self involved in the equation, but also the other self. And no matter how many imaginings one has done about what people will say, in the actual conversation, there is always a new and unique twist to how things turn out. And all of the vain imaginings fall away before the actual person and the actual conversation. Perhaps the most tragic outcome of such vain, circular imaginings would be that one renders oneself incapable of hearing the actual conversation. Because one has been deafened by one's expectations. This so is a killer. This this is this is the the the, the golden truth here. Um, because they're drawing a distinction, um, and they and they and they work out this distinction later on. 
between using imagining the future in a way that involves solely the self and solely using the mind to project what one will do. After all, one is in control of oneself. There's no problem with like just controlling yourself in the future as opposed to right now. Like it's the same mental exercise. There's no control involved in it beyond what you already have agency over. What gets negative is when you start trying to expect, make expectations for the other self in the future. And you're trying to anticipate what they will bring to your attention in the future. And we've all, I'm sure we've all been through this where we think about conversations that we're going to, what I would say if I could, you know, talk to him, you know, and tell him what I really think, you know, or, or, oh, I would come back at him so, so well with this, like, you know, rejoinder or something. Uh, all of this imagining of another person as an enemy, as, as, as something encroaching upon you that you are trying to prepare yourself to defend against. This is all setting you up to be, and I don't think you need to be spiritual about it at all. It's all setting you up to be disappointed because the other person is another person and they're not going to behave the way that you expect. Isn't, isn't that how you took it, Ryan? Oh yes. Oh yes. Well, and the fact that with, with this negative projections, okay. With positive projections, you, you are supporting yourself. You are, um, you are aiding yourself. Uh, this is common in like positive self-talk in sports psychology. Like a, right. you know, as a pitcher, you're constantly thinking, I'm going to do great this next pitch or I'm going to, you know, it's just, you go through the cycle of positive thought and visualization, but it, it's all, it's all internal. There might be other people around you that you are engaging with, but it is still internal. That internality does not change when you are on the negative aspect of those projections. Yeah, you might be rehearsing a conversation that you'll have with someone else, but you're not actually having a conversation with someone else. You're having a conversation with yourself. And I would I would add, if it's a stressful conversation, you're having a conversation with your own fears and your own negativity. And you're you know, it's like you're having a conversation with your own worst enemy, which is you, and it is rarely productive. It is rarely productive. So it's a great paragraph. It's, it's a very common thing. I think most people can uh, relate to that experience of tr knowing that you have to have a conversation with someone that you think is difficult. And therefore, because you think it's difficult, you think the other person is going to find it difficult as well. And they are going to get combative and defensive and you just screw it from the very beginning. You, you ruin it <laughs> by not going into a conversation, open-hearted, seeking to understand you know, come to a common point of clarity <laughs> when you rehearse all that BS to begin with, it's you're setting yourself up for failure, you know? Yeah. And, you know, from the point of view of catalysis and, uh, experiencing these emotions instrumentally as, as things that help us on our spiritual evolutionary path, whether they be positive or negative, you know, there, there's nothing I guess sometimes you have to have the experience of worrying. You have to have the experience of in your mind, wargaming these things out. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, because, you know, what I have found in my life is that nearly three out of four times, probably more, the things that I'm worried about don't pan out to be nearly as bad, if bad at all. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've laid in bed on a Sunday night 
dreading going into work because I have to deal with something that I think is going to be awful. It's going to expose all my weaknesses and how much of a F up I am. And then I get to work and everybody's focused on something else and it isn't even a problem. And I mean, this happens in like any, any groups I'm in or even with, you know, relationships. Um, what I'm trying to say is that, uh, there could be some use from a spiritual point of view to worrying. But I think that the last line of that excerpt is what bothers me the most. Perhaps the most tragic outcome of such vain circular imaginings would be that one renders oneself incapable of hearing the actual conversation. If you limit your ability to actually hear what another person is saying, because you've done so much imagine, you've put so many words in their mouth and Hey, I've done this before. I've done this recently. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then uh, that it really is, um, you know, uh, those of Ross say that uh, all things are acceptable, but some things you might want to just work out in your mind rather than in, you know, in, 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 in reality, in you know, material reality so that you don't violate people's free will. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what I'm gesturing at here is that. Even if you do find yourself worrying, it can be useful. But if you but if you don't balance that, then you're going to be like it's going to leak out into your experience and uh, maybe get in the way of of a, of a real opportunity for connection and understanding. That would be a shame, right? Certainly, I think there's a lot of a lot of good catalyst there to you know for people to think about. Maybe a like I like I like to say a flagging mechanism. Um, you know, treat it like a flag when you're starting to get into that negative self-talk and negative projections about how a a conversation is going to play out. Maybe let that serve as a flag that uh, you're not going to gain a lot <laughs> from that process, or at least you're not going to move forward. You might be able to play out some scenarios, like a worst case scenario or two, but yeah. um, but maybe there's a better path. Now, there there is one problem with using the positive projection uh, uh, tool, which is that, and they talk about this in the next, uh, paragraph. Um, let's see the one known as Carla, who is the instrument at this session was speaking earlier of how she could not see a way to complete her tasks in the situation in which she finds herself. This is because she is not able to use positive visualization since she does not know what she can expect from herself. When there is a vacuum in a positive situation, it is very tempting to substitute negative projection and simply worry and be concerned about how the future will pan out. And I really identified with that. To me, it almost seems to imply that one of the benefits of knowing thyself as Ra directs, you know, the law of one says, know, know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator. If you know and accept yourself, then you have something with which to project into the future positively. You can concretely imagine that future self with the qualities that you are familiar with in the present. And that part of the reason why we need to know ourselves is so that we can use our imagination to project positively in a constructive way, right? think that is a huge roadblock for many, many, many people. I, uh, yes, I, that's a great, yeah. that is a great point. I mean, I know, I, I know plenty of people that this would apply to 
people who don't really know themselves at all or what they're capable of or um yeah that's a that's a broad statement at least for people in, in my life but then quo goes on to say hey look even if you can't positively project you don't have to fear you don't have to worry the way that they put it is um hmm we would simply suggest that unless the concern is turned from worry into a dispassionate and calm review of possibilities for solutions, innovations that may improve the picture and so forth, there is no positive or constructive use for the worry. It is, sim- it is difficult simply to take one's worry and concern and lay it down. Yet indeed, that would be our suggestion. Realize that fear has come to visit and has offered you a gift. Whether it is wrapped up in a plain brown paper bag or whether it is gift-wrapped and has a pretty ribbon, as concern sometimes has. It is nevertheless a package of fear. Such packages do not need to be opened. They can be laid aside and neglected, while you, having rejected this fear, simply move on to other thoughts and concerns. And this also seems to Mm. be like a really finely honed piece of advice. Because it's saying like, hey, we recognize that you're not always going to be able to constructively imagine the future. And uh, that doesn't mean that you have to fill up that void, (laughs) that empty part of the picture with worry. You don't have to do, you can just not worry. Yes. And so they they make it, they do make it seem a little bit pat and easy. It's one of Um, those things that is simple, but not easy. And so many things, so many things in our lives, as far as how we'd like to develop as people fall into that category, simple, not easy. And here's a perfect example. When you are delivered, when that package of fear is delivered to you, you can recognize it and set it aside. That's a tough choice to make. And I I think there's a certain amount of skill that probably is involved with being able to do that. But if one is able to do that, that's uh, that would be something. Yeah, it's uh, this is when we start getting into the concept of triggering, I think, because what you said at the beginning is 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 paramount. You have to be able to recognize it. You have to characterize the catalyst that's occurring as it's occurring and do your very, very level best to intersperse your consciousness in the middle of the instinctual habitual reaction that 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 catalyst will trigger in you mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that you react perfectly like it doesn't have to mean that at all what it can mean is oh i really noticed it that time i really felt it before i reacted and this is what meditation is really good at meditation is great practice at sitting with your thoughts long enough to understand how one thought leads to another leads to another leads to another and this chain of thinking that pulls us out of the present moment and gets us in our own abstract world um, of our own creation rather than facing what's in front of us and uh, learning to just accept what it what, what was that uh, thing we were talking about the other time accept difficult material right like you don't have to like something to accept it Hmm. Yeah. It's simply acknowledging the reality at this moment mm-hmm. and recognizing that, hey, this isn't quite the most comfortable reality I've ever been in. Yeah. Noted. Just be present. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember at what point I, I started to come to this conclusion, but it 
at, at some point in my life, I got to a point where stress, I no longer feared stress. I knew that I was going to get into situations that would be stressful. They would be challenges that would really um, challenge me. Um, but it, I remember thinking at one point, as I was getting more and more stressed, hey, I felt this way before and I'm still alive. I'm not homeless. I'm not, I don't have addiction issues. My, you know, my life is still on the right track. And no matter what challenges come my way, I'm going to continue to make the choice to make the best choice possible. And I will get through this. And it's helped. <laughs> it's helped a ton. Knowing and expecting and even embracing those challenges that come. And embracing the fear that, that it accompanies those challenges of what's going to happen. Am I gonna? Am I gonna get in trouble? You know, am I gonna? Am I gonna get fired, or am I gonna do this or that? Or am I gonna go broke? Accepting that fear and challenge is a part of life, and I will survive. And so long as I'm living, I have another day to keep fighting and keep growing and loving and moving forward. And you know, what's 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 so bad about that? about living in once day. again i see i see you uh setting an example of taking the long view and i note that unless you are um one of these special children who are <laughs> incarnated among us who have the temperament already of not worrying um this is something you learn as you gain more experience hmm. i think as you gain more experience you get more opportunities to see how your stimulus response feedback loop works out for you. Yes. You know, and you start to see, you just, you, 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 you accumulate evidence that there is another way of doing things that you might not have done before and that you can intervene in your emotions. You can intervene in your thinking. Um, in fact, in this very transcript, they talk about this choice of meeting the moment is a large part of the of the unity between love and fear. Hmm. Let's read it. Um, sorry. Let's read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. The one known as R was saying earlier that it is difficult to see how love and fear are two sides of the same coin. We began speaking of love and fear as entities, qualities in a platonic sense, the world of ideas. And this is a very valid and real world where love and fear do indeed have infinite and ever ongoing lives as long as they are reflected in the hearts and the minds of those moving through the, in, the illusion of incarnation. However, it is easier to see the relationship between love and fear if we move from contemplating love and fear as pure entities and look at them as applied in the lives of each of you. So that they are not entities upon their own, but rather they are a dynamic of choices between which you may choose as you encounter catalyst and find yourself making a choice. When you come to a cusp and are looking at an issue that is yours to look at, whether it is the right use of time, the right use of resources such as money or any other issue, you come to the issue in some state of imbalance or bias. This instrument was speaking of her own fears earlier when she said that she had consciously to choose to substitute faith for fear. She had consciously to realize that all is well and perfect. And when she did that, she made a new reality in which fear had no part. 
The coin itself with love on one side and fear on the other is you yourself and what you think is important. You are the treasure here. You are the coin of the realm, shall we say. You are a thing of infinite value. And when you have a concern, if you reach with hope and trust and faith, you are reaching into the qualities of love. If instead you approach your issue by contracting into worry and projection, then your choice is fear. Shall you expand around an issue or shall you contract around an issue? That is your choice. Note that the energies of expansion are locked into the present moment. They do not drift into projections of the future or memories of the past. In the world of love, one begins with the knowledge that all is well. And this pulls one into focus in the center of the present moment. In truth, as we said earlier, it almost seems negligent or criminal within the society in which you find yourself to approach issues from a standpoint of love. It does not seem to be prudent or sensible to stay in the present moment. And yet anything but the present moment is an illusion of the mind. All that is truly yours to do with to exert control over or to make choices within is this present moment. I think I'll cut it off there. But um, yeah, this, this whole idea that this is how catalysis works is that we're presented with these opportunities to explore the biases that we bring to the table. Right. We all like th- th- this is the function of the unconscious in the catal in the catal in the process of catalysis. The unconscious brings these these innate kind of biases, these innate filters that we put on reality as we perceive it. It gives everything a twist, a turn that's that's ours and ours uniquely. And then, bang, we got a choice to make. Do we go with that? Or do we accept something new? Do we contract around the issue? And I love the way that they put that. Do you contract around the issue or do you expand around the issue? Is your choice in how to deal with something challenging to be more yourself, to be more the creator, to reach into other selves as allies and as partners, to reach into the creation as something that is innately good and uh, worth treasuring? Or do you say, nope, I got to like fall back into the defensive posture, hold on to everything I have ball up so that I can defend myself. Like these are two fundamental ways of looking at what a challenge in the first place is. Right. Yeah. It's so philosophically fundamental. And I, and it's a great example of the polarity, right? It is. It is. And I would. I would interject that recognizing that one has a choice in these scenarios is the first step. I think so many people, and I think this is one of Sam Harris's arguments against the notion of free will, that so many people are kind of in their automated state of action and reaction that you're just on autopilot. It's like, how much free will are you really exhibiting when you're just, when you're not thinking and you're not making the choice in the moment and recognizing everything in front of you, you, you really are kind of on autopilot. And I, I immediately thought when you were going through these, I immediately thought of your paradigm shifting experience with that police officer. Yeah. And 
just were you were you open at that moment to the choice or do you think was that was that idea incepted from your higher self to like hey here's an idea maybe this guy doesn't have the power you think he does look at how he's acting you know you chose to react in it well you whether you chose to or not i don't know but you reacted I, in an interesting way to that you know what you were going through at that time it, in the moment I acted in the normal way Jeremy would, which mm. would be uh, unremitting hostility to, <laughs> to police officers. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, other selves who are in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not personal, <laughs> but, but what to revisit that, mm. what, what got me, what started me on my path was reflecting on it mm. in the, in the hour, in the day, in the week and month after that, and how much my expectation of how that should have gone down was frustrated by the reality of how the other self, the, mm-hmm. the cop actually presented. They didn't present as somebody all masterful and uh, in total control of little old victim me. Mm-hmm. They were the victim. Mm-hmm. And uh, that caused me so much distress because that's not how it's supposed to be. I'm, we're the victims and they're the perpetrators, right? Yeah. And so grappling with this inconsistency, um, maybe I was open to the fact that my expectation did not work out. And I used that. I, I, for some reason or another, I, I, I held on to that and dug deeper. Um, I don't think that it's something that I did right, Ryan. I think this is something I feel very strongly. This happened to me. I re- it changed me. I really I think, did not do it because I have virtue of some kind. See, you know I wonder mean? if this was like one of your planned life events. They're like, all right, we got to, you know, like you're mapping out your life before you get here. Like, all right, dude, we got to figure out this scenario that where really I get to take a left turn on my, <laughs> like maybe I got to, I got to run into a cop or I got to run into this or something's got to help shift my, uh, my perspective on this. It just, it's so interesting because every now and then people will run into scenarios that for whatever reason, change their paradigm of the world. And those are such powerful experiences that if you believe in a higher power, if you are a mystic of any sort, one would think that this falls into that mystic category, that those experiences fall into the mystic category. And of course, I'm digressing a bit here um, because the original point was when things are happening to you or did things are happening, if you recognize your part in those things that are happening and recognize that you have a choice as to how you will project into the future regarding what's going on in, in your world. I mean, that's step one. And that's, that's hard to recognize. I think people in the, uh, in the spiritual community, I think, um, uh, ah, maybe I, I shouldn't even say they have a leg up. Uh, this isn't even normal. I just think it's human nature to just keep, you kind of on autopilot, you keep reacting, but recognizing you have a choice is step one. And then, Hopefully you can implement making the quote unquote, the right choice or the right choice for you enough to show that there is value in setting that gift of fear aside and focusing on positive projections of the future, that that is where, that is where the value is at for your own personal growth. 
Absolutely. And when I, when I think about, uh, the, uh, not the next paragraph or the paragraph after it, where they talk about habitual worry mm. and how we set ourselves into cycles of worry where it goes even beyond, uh, the catalyst before us in the present moment, but it becomes something that kind of builds upon itself. Um, that is what really, uh, kind of makes me pause about my cop encounter is that that's what happened there. Hmm. I was trained to behave that way to that cop. And that cop was basically acting the way that he acts probably towards everybody. You know, I mean, if it, maybe he was having a bad day, but everybody's got more than one bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, to me, what, what really strikes me is like, this is why I think the law of free will is also called the law of confusion because that confusion that I felt that this, uh, this is an alien thing that I just encountered in myself, an alien thing that I encountered in the world. And like, I have to, I have to balance that and the, and balancing it took me on a direction that I didn't think I was going to yeah, go. I'm just, I have so many visualizations just running through my head. Like, Jeremy's higher self having a floppy disk and like uploading a new program into Jeremy, you know, down on earth. <laughs> it's just, you know, you, you joke, but it actually feels <laughs> a lot that's, like that when I look back on but it. That's why they come to my head. Because again, these experiences are just, they feel so outside of you, you know, they feel so outside of you and they um, do. they're so powerful. But I do like the, the, uh, one of the last sentences in one of these paragraphs that, you know, quote states, if you're ab- about, um, making a habit of yeah. focusing on the negative. If, if your habit solidifies and deepens so that you are constantly running fear-based thoughts and dwelling in the lands of worry and projection into an unsightly and worrisome future, you are solidifying a habit that will increasingly limit your ability to relax and enjoy the present moment. And that is, I think, kind of when we think of someone who lives in fear this is what we are seeing. This is what we are recognizing. Someone who can't live in the moment and enjoy the beautiful sunny day with their hot cup of coffee, you know, with, a, with three tablespoons of half and half. You <laughs> just can't enjoy the little things and in, in the beauty when you're constantly in that, in fear mode, in worry mode and whatever it is that, you know, that negative space that you might be uh, living in. Yeah. And, uh, it's even more striking when we think about the ways in which the world sees that as some kind of responsible <laughs> attitude, right? Yes. Oh, be constantly be worrying. I mean, I feel like people who are bosses or managers, like they're basically paid to worry. They're paid to take personally the business and to feel on an emotional, visceral, limbic level <laughs> what yeah. the owner would be feeling if he were there, you know, like a lot of people for a lot of people, like having your emotions on loan to, 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 to an interest that is paying you is kind of what your job is. Mm -hmm. And you just do whatever you would need to do to protect on behalf of that, of that employer. Yes. Um, so the idea is that, you know, we can be in this world in this fear-based contractive, like conservative, right? Like, like, like when I say conservative, I mean, we're not looking at every present moment as new and fresh. We are instead looking to the past to contextualize what's going on. Right. And of course we all do that. 
we wouldn't be able to speak if we weren't drawing upon our memory of sure. language, right? But at the same time, there is a point at which we need to have a freshness so that we can see what's actually, we, so that we can see what that gift actually is, right? Um, and that's, that's um, let me read this, this, this part. To move away from these habits of contraction is to move from shadow into sunlight, we do not say that this journey from shadow to sunlight is going to be an easy one. It flies in the face of your cultural training to rely on trust and faith. There are many, many times in each day when you have the opportunity to move into worry. We can only encourage you to do as the one known as T2 said, to remain somewhat centered and focused, more so than your everyday state. To be somewhat in a meditative state as you move through the moments of your day. For it is just in these tiny moments that the opportunities to make the choice between love and fear appear. The challenge is to be aware when these moments arrive so that you can stop yourself from being triggered into fear and the contraction around fear. And mm. I, I really want to stress that it is the present moment where all of this spiritual game plays out. Once we're out of the present moment, we don't, it's not quite as creative. The possibilities for unlocking something new don't obtain in our memory, right? Like when we're thinking back on something, we can only kind of project backwards and think about what we might've done or what we could have done. But in the present moment with that other self or those other selves there with that opportunity you know, uh, just waiting for us. If we, through meditation and self-discipline and the discipline of the personality can start to get between us and our triggers and make a choice. Yes. And you know, like there's lots of different choices to make. It doesn't have to be perfect. What it does have to do in order to be positive and to move us in a service to others direction is to be just a little bit more service to others and service to self. That's all that's required. You just have to like, and even if you can't even get there, nudge yourself a little bit over your comfort line, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to be aware. You have to be in the present moment in order to do that. If you are operating on a tape, if you're not paying attention, then you don't stand a chance. Yeah. I had that experience this morning. I had gotten up early because work is crazy. And I'm one of those guys that certainly stresses out about work. And then when my, uh, my son got up. Um, usually he'll just play on his own for a little bit before we get our day started. And um, he said, Daddy, you know, can I want you to read to me. Or I want you to play with me. And I'm like coming down the stairs with my coffee, ready to hammer out more emails, you know. And my first and that reaction was like, dude, no way. I got so many emails I need to send. But, but something pinged me. Maybe it was what, what Quo states. To remain somewhat centered and focused, more so than your everyday state, to be somewhat in a meditative state as you move through the moments of your day, for it is in just it, for it is just in these tiny moments the opportunities to make the choice between love and fear appear. And at that moment on the stairs, when my little kid, in his cute little three-year-old voice, is saying, "Daddy, play with me." I had the choice to let the fear of my continued workload to overtake me or recognize the moment of the love my kid wants to share with me, the love that I'm going to get out of sharing that time with my son, time that you don't get back friends, you know, and you know, and then at that moment I felt I made the right decision 
I got back to work and I sent out lots of email. I'm kidding. I did not get back to work. I played with my kid. So, um, so yes, I think I, I, what I like is one thing you can get out of practice meditation is that if you can apply that subtle feeling that you have of just being aware, just that general awareness of what is going through your head, the moments that pass from present moment to present moment, that allows you an opportunity to make a choice in each of those moments as things come your way. So um, that was a small win, I feel, for me today, um, because sometimes I do get bogged down with that fear of not being good at my job, not being a good provider for my family. And it felt very good this morning to take a step back and say, maybe I should be a good father right now and play with my kid. I, I love that story. I think it's a perfect example of what Kuo is talking about. And there's a paragraph that I think exemplifies it, what you just talked about that I'd like to read. So if you take that image of the self in the present moment and you were in the present moment, that's what I see about you were thinking you were focused right mm -hmm. now. And look to see what the heads and tails of that coin are. Archetypally speaking, it is very clear and shining in its simplicity. On one side is love. On the other side is fear. On the one side is expansion into an infinite present with infinite possibilities. I want to underline that. An expansion into an infinite present with infinite possibilities. This is why we need to make the choice in the moment and be aware in the moment. Because it's only in the moment that anything is real. Everything else is a projection of our mind, right? Mm -hmm. And on the other side, to continue with Quo is contraction into a knot in the determination that stems from the contraction to control, to be aggressive and to make things safe. And this involves one in endless projections into the future and endless projections into the past in order to justify the projections into the future, right? This is the cyclical thinking that they're talking about. Whereas like you can indulge that, but the only thing that's actually real and that isn't a made up thing of your freaking mind yeah. is right now right here. I want to expand on this for just a second, because in my, in my role, working with families who are investing their money for their retirement and just getting a sense of working with someone long-term and getting a sense of their fi family dynamic too often, I think I've still told this story before, but too often I run into men in particular and some women, but men in particular who are so career oriented that, and they're not in the moment. They're living in the fear of, will my career get me to where I want to go? Am I earning enough? And they neglect the present moments that are so important with their kids. Those little moments like my, my son just had of just wanting to, you know, just wanting to play with their, with their mom and dad. So many people that I have worked with have neglected those moments, neglected the moments of love due to fear. And sooner or later, that comes, that lesson will be learned. And it is yep. a lesson that is very hard earned, hardly hard learned, the longer it takes you to learn it. Because I, how often do I run into someone who wants to take more time off from work to spend more time with their 12 year old, 14 year old, 16 year old daughter or son, only to realize that their son or daughter doesn't want to hang out with them. <laughs> they want to go live their own lives. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sorry, the boat, the boat has sailed, but, um, you know, I certainly don't want to learn that lesson the hard way. So 
but it is a it is a lesson that will be learned one way or another at least in that context at least yeah yeah and like your work didn't really suffer did it nope because you played with your kid no and here's the thing here's the thing my coworkers understand the 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 owners the advisors that i work with completely understand they have kids they know there's a there's a, a story i cannot remember what book this is in but it was um the guy who wrote the book he opens up with this chapter about having to go to a meeting the day that the day that his wife is giving labor and it's a super important meeting and uh he he thinks that the the owners and the business partners and the potential deal that whoever's involved they're going to think less of him for not being committed to like getting this done to going to the meeting just spending the half hour whatever it is long story short his wife is in labor and he goes to the meeting and through conversation the the members of the meeting learn that his wife is in labor and immediately everyone is like dude what are you doing here why are you not by your wife it was a complete negative from their perspective of like where are your priorities son you know and it was a hard lesson for that guy to learn that yeah th- know your priorities and be okay with your priorities and don't live in fear of what other people's priorities for you are because oftentimes you may have that wrong and i feel and i feel that way with my team they understand and They've even explicitly told me, you know, you don't get this time back. So yeah. enjoy it while you can. Yeah. So. I, I wish that um, everybody had as understanding workplaces as we do. Cause yes. I think we both have a lot of flexibility and, and, I, and you know, I read the, uh, I've been reading the uh, Reddit, the, the anti-work subreddit that's been getting a lot of press lately. Okay. I'll look at it. <laughs> and uh, all sorts of people just complaining you know, horror stories about, you know, you know, getting fired oh for being at your wife's labor have, or something like that. We have clients that have had bosses. I've had f- clients and friends and family members who have bosses, managers that do not have perspective. And any yeah. chance I get, I'm like, that is a bad boss. That is a bad manager. They might not be a bad person, but they are not on your team and you need someone mm-hmm. who's on your team. So can, I, I say, yeah. consider finding somewhere else to work because that person's not on your team, you know? Yeah. So, and generally, and it's, it's like, I just want to like put a fine point on this idea that it's all about these decisions that we make in the moment. It's about you holding that cup of coffee on the stair, looking at your son with the state of mind. That's your catalyst. Yes. What do you do? Right. And what, and what you did is, is, is. You know, you could say it's the right or the wrong thing, but the important thing for us to go forward in our lives is to recognize those moments. Yes. And to recognize that we have a choice, you know, and like maybe the thing is, is that like, you know, if you spend enough time with your family, then that affords you the ability to when you need to, to go do work a little bit more, right? Like, like, yes. and, and there is such a thing as constructive fear. I mean, I think that's the last part of the quo transcript that I wanted to really uh, mm-hmm. put emphasis on because there's a bunch of stuff about 2012 in here that is embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) frankly um but uh here's here's what i'm talking about we are not encouraging you to lose all fear in dangerous situations we are not encouraging you to stop steering your car away from an oncoming vehicle simply because you are not afraid 
We would encourage you to avoid the oncoming vehicle. Certainly. That's nice to know. Mm. It is at the level of being concerned that the next time you get in your vehicle, that this will happen again, that we encourage you to choose to trust the moment and not to project into an uncertain future. At this moment, all is well. And if you must look into the future, then look with hope. Think to yourself, I might be surprised at how well this will go. Visualize positively if you must go into the future. And whenever possible, we encourage you to remain at peace and at rest and very alert and watchful for the universe is speaking to you. And I have, haven't we all had this? Uh, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier that like I build up all this worry about Monday. And like the last time that I did this, I remember thinking to myself, I always do this to myself. It always turns out fine. I never, ever walk in there and get fired on a Monday. Like, yeah. what am I worried about? Yeah. And yet I'm, and I realized that like, it was my mind racing, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think that there is constructive fear, which is in the present moment, not in the future. The only time that fear is actually our friend and helps us is right now. Mm -hmm. If it involves any projection, it's bogus. And I think that's a great rule of thumb. I think this transcript has great things for people to go back and read and study and start to use in their lives to create the kind of life that they want. I agree. It's a great session. Reminds you to stay in the present. And I think it's worthy, definitely worthy of a read. And we are all about on this podcast, not just <laughs> philosophical pontifications, but practical things that you can do uh, to live, to, to, to cooperate with your spiritual evolution. And I think we're going to leave it there, right? Yes, sir. Thank you for another great conversation, Jeremy. Let's, uh, I, I am, I hope that this is, uh, I am projecting into the future. I am seeing, but it. it's positive. I, it's clear as day. <laughs> Every week we are recording like this. It is beautiful. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> no pressure. I agree. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as you, uh, emerge from that, uh, daydream and, uh, face your choices to love and expand or fear and contract, uh, do us a favor and stay in the love and the light in the meantime.